Welcome back to Moments That Matter. If you know us, you know that we have a tremendous affection toward books and reading, and we've been introducing a series called Books That Matter, and we've had a chance to interview a few guests about books that really matter in their life, and today we're going to take an opportunity to do that for ourselves. So I would like to introduce to his own podcast yet again, Dr. Paul Schatzberger. Thank you for being here for Books That Matter today. Love it. Every minute of it. And today we're going to talk about something. I've not read this and I've heard you sing its praises. It will be on my list to be read as soon as possible. But today we're going to be talking about, as you perfectly described it, a long title for a short book, And Every Morning the Way Home Gets Longer and Longer by Frederick Backman. Tell us, Paul, why'd you choose this book? Well, I'm in a a couple of book clubs and one of them we read something called Anxious People, which was written by this man. He's Swedish, and all of this is you know, translated into English. Um, and that book was absolutely remarkable. And I've since read another of his books. This one that I'm talking about today is actually a novella. So it's a pretty easy read. You can get through it you know, fairly quickly. And it would be, for anybody who's looking for maybe a new fiction author or something like that, this would be a great break-in and an easy introduction to him. His books are kind of long, and so this is, this is obviously an exception. I have not really encountered an author who is so good at creating characters and cr- characters who are not only three-dimensional, but <clears throat> that you just feel everything they're feeling and that you laugh when you should laugh and you cry when you should cry. And it's really quite remarkable. And me, myself, and I, I'm trying to break into fiction, you know, in writing fiction. So I am looking for role models, you know, people that I can pattern my writing after, and he would certainly be one of them. So this story is about essentially four people, but really just two. They're two main characters. One is a grandpa and the other is a grandson whose name is Noah, but the grandpa calls him Noah Noah because he likes the sound of the name so much. He says it twice. And the other characters are the grandfather's son, who is Noah's father, and then the grandfather's wife, who has since departed, but kind of shows up in his mind, uh, in his thoughts as alternately an older woman and a younger woman. And he is just kind of reminiscing and, you know, very sentimental about everything. The twist with this is not unlike A Beautiful Mind, if our readers have either read it or seen the movie, where you are sort of halfway into the story and suddenly realize that you're inside the mind of this person and the things that you've been seeing and the characters that he's been encountering are essentially made up. So it's like that in one way, this grandpa has dementia and it's really causing him, you know, his body to fail. And so he is kind of going down this very, very difficult path, not only in terms of his mind, but in terms of his body. 
and his companion along that path is Noah Noah. And they absolutely understand each other because they absolutely love mathematics and numbers and just kind of talk in that language to each other, which is probably another reason that I, I like the book. And, and there are so many people who don't understand them in this world, including the people very close to them. So like, for instance, the grandmother, for instance, the father of Noah, they are much more about writing and words and everything else like that. And grandpa and Noah are much more about numbers and, and especially infinity. They love infinity. And so they recite the decimals of pi to each other. And you understand in some ways what that means for the grandfather, you know, because this is what he can still remember. These are the, the basic, basic facts. Uh, and we tend to remember patterns and behaviors much more than we remember names of people or, you know, whatever it might be as those things kind of slip away. And then, the, of course, the other kind of attraction for me is just my age. <laughs> and, you know, that I've had some of the, some of these challenges in a much more mild form, these things that, especially just proper names, that, that seems to be, ugh. anyway. So I'm glad that mostly my conversations and my communications are in written form. And I can take a moment and say, now, what was that, you know, that person, that name, that thing, whatever it is. So I can, I can identify some with his journey, although he's way advanced, you know. So anyway, they're on this path. And what we're seeing in the book, not to give too much away, but what we're seeing being described doesn't exist. It only exists in the grandfather's mind. And what he sees is sort of scattered memories, if you will. And so he describes them to Noah and Noah asks about them. What does this mean? What does that mean? And we come to understand what these things really are. He's not in a square, you know, sitting on a bench with Noah. Noah is not necessarily the age that he imagines him as a little boy the grandmother who is passed away is not alive and is certainly not young and, you know, all these kinds of things. So it is a kind of a gradual revelation of how this grandfather is seeing the world. And the thing that I tell people about Frederick Backman is there is nobody who can write about desperation better than he can. He writes it in such emotional terms and you can't help but feel the desperation of the characters to be different to wish for the past to whatever it might be so obviously that's a plus in fiction if you can make the reader feel things you know with with just your words so anyway that's kind of the gist of the thing and what it is that I find attractive about it. And I'm in a book club right now that is getting ready to talk about it. So I was rereading it for myself. And this is kind of why, because there are lots of books that you and I can both talk about, but this is kind of recent for me, you know, so that's why I'm talking about it. 
Incredible. So as you've read through it, how would you say it's contributed to your own writing and your shaping of characters and writing maybe even of desperation in the work that you've been working on? That's a good question. Because he writes in a way that is not actually recommended these days. What's recommended these days is something called deep point of view or deep POV, where you are only in one character's mind and only can feel what that character feels. His is much more omniscient. And so we kind of feel what each of the characters is feeling and their frustrations and that sort of thing, even though we're, we're only in the grandfather's head. Nonetheless, there are still, as an example, there's a conversation between the father and the son at some point that doesn't include the grandfather at all. And that wouldn't normally be done in this day and age. So I don't know if I can really adopt his kind of narration, but in terms of the dialogue, that's the thing. I'm just looking, what are those, what are those words? What are those expressions? What are those ways of talking that are so penetrating and so authentic for the reader. And you can just imagine yourself saying these things or somebody else saying them to you, whatever it might be. And you're just like in the middle of the story. And that's that to me is completely fascinating. Intriguing. I remember our conversation not so long ago when you were explaining that to me, the change in writing styles and how things have sort of evolved in that way. Well, the title is quite long, but also quite interesting. And every morning, the way home gets longer and longer. What is home for the main character? Or what is this progression of home that gets longer? Is this in reference to the dementia that has started creeping in? Yes, absolutely. Yeah, he, at one point, it's a, it's a really, really interesting concept. At one point, he is talking to his wife, who again has, you know, passed away. And he says that she was... Her, his shortcut to go home she was his way of understanding the world because he didn't understand the world and the world didn't understand him basically he was just into figures and doing his math and everything else like that and she was the one who could pull him back in you know rein him in and so he no longer has her his shortcut and also Yes, his mind is going. And so he's feeling progressively more lost at various points and has, you know, he, he's having to do a lot more wandering around in order to find home, in order to feel some kind of peace, you know, and feel settled, whatever it might be. So that's the intent of the title. I think you alluded to it, and those who are listening, we all have family members or friends who have themselves walked through a season of dementia with a loved one, or maybe it's far more personal. Would you say that this book has a message for those who are walking through a season of dealing with a family member or friend who is suffering from dementia? Yeah, I mean... Most well, obviously, people are looking from the outside in uh, in these situations, and it's not the person that they once knew. And so there is compassion, but at the same time, frustration, sometimes anger. And this 
puts you into the mind of that person. And it's really hard to stay angry with a person when you're in their mind. <laughs> Again, one of the great aspects of his writing is the empathy. You can absolutely understand why this character is doing this thing and as crazy as it is. And he has his characters always doing crazy things, always. And they don't make sense to anybody else, but it makes sense to the character. And uh, so, so just being able to have some kind of empathy for people in this situation, because there's so many. And, and the other thing is it goes on for so long in many cases and, and it's exasperating, you know, I'll give you an example. Okay. So my grandmother lived to be 109. All right. She was vital, active until she was about a hundred, a little past, and she had a fall. And from that point, it was kind of progressively downhill. So my, eventually my parents had to put her in, you know, like a, it's not really a retirement home, you know, someone somewhere where she could have assistance constantly, you know, which is what she needed. And, uh, but my dad would go visit her every day, you know, and he'd spend about 20 minutes every day with her. Well, one time he was with her and he had been talking with her for let's say 10 minutes. It, it had been a little while and they're just conversing. They're talking about the weather. They're talking about, you know, whatever it is. And I'm going to clean this up for, for the podcast. But in the midst of this conversation, my grandmother looks at my father, her son and says, who the heck are you? You know? So you've got somebody who is invested in this person has been for you know decades but in the most recent time is coming faithfully you know to be with this person and she has no idea who he is and this is this is the level of frustration this is the level of anger this is the level of you know uh that that people face with this kind of disease and it's just so so hard so the a nice thing to see in the story is that even though the son you know the grandfather's son gets frustrated with with his father um the grandson really never does and he's just with him and he wants to understand you know what it is that the grandfather's seeing and just obviously still has so much love for the grandfather. And, you know, so that, that's really cool to see too. Yeah, great description. In my own family, I've had a grandmother who has passed away since and a great aunt, her sister, who has passed away since, who at the sunset years of their life, the body was beginning to fail, but did not fail as significantly as the mind. And... Sure. It was, especially for, for my mother, who was providing the majority of the care for her mom and then interacting greatly with her aunt, my great aunt. It was a difficult time because it was this shift of personality. It's a person that you don't even know and they don't know you. And some traits started to appear that were never there before. Language was used that was never used before. Comments were made and statements were made that were so out of character. 
And walking through that season is so difficult for those who maybe have not yet walked through it before or had the experience or had the understanding or knowledge. And it takes such a great deal of patience. But to consider something from the individual's perspective, I think, is a totally different shift. Well, uh, as you think about the book, is there a particular passage or quote or portion of the book that you find especially captivating? Yeah, um, it's toward the end. And again, not to you know, ruin it for people or anything like that. I will try to get through this without crying. It's, you know, I, it's, it's very heartrending, but just bear in mind that the grandfather through most of this has been talking about sitting on the bench with his grandson and the grandson's feet do not quite touch the ground. Okay. So this is what it says. There's a hospital room at the end of a life where someone right in the middle of the floor has pitched a green tent. A person wakes up inside it, breathless and afraid, not knowing where he is. The young man sitting next to him whispers, don't be scared. The person sits up in his sleeping bag, hugs his shaking knees and cries. Don't be scared, the young man repeats. The balloon bounces against the roof of the tent. Its string reaches the person's fingertips. I don't know who you are, he whispers. The young man strokes his forearm. I'm Noah. You're my grandpa. You taught me to cycle on the road outside your house, and you loved my grandma so much that there wasn't room in your own feet. She hated coriander, but put up with you. You swore you would never stop smoking, but you did when you became a father. You've been to space because you were born adventurer, and once you went to your doctor and said, doctor, doctor, I've broken my arm in two places. And then the doctor told you, you should really stop going there. Grandpa smiles then without moving his lips. Noah places the string from the balloon in his hand and shows him how he is holding the other end. We're inside the tent we used to sleep in by the lake, Grandpa. Do you remember? If you tie this string around your wrist, you can keep hold of the balloon when you fall asleep. And when you get scared, you just need to yank it and I'll pull you back every time. Grandpa nods slowly and strokes Noah's cheek in wonder. You look different, Noah. Noah. How is school? Are the teachers better now? Yes, Grandpa. The teachers are better now. I'm one of them. The teachers are great now. I've read that a few times and, and I've cried every time. It's this realization that... Again, what he's been seeing, which is Noah as a little boy, is not, in fact, the case. Noah has grown up, you know, and wow. he's always asking his grandson about, or had always asked his grandson about school. How are the teachers? Because the teachers never understood Noah, you know, just like they probably never understood the grandpa. And so here he is, you know, finally seeing or hearing anyway, his grandson, the way he actually is, you know, as an adult. And so anyway, you just get this sense of things just shifting, just, just moving constantly for this person because of this dementia. And it's just so hard to kind of grasp a hold of something and know that it's real. And this is why he mentions the balloon because the balloon was the grandfather's way of reassuring the boy, you know, when they would camp in this green tent. And now the roles have reversed, which is 
always what happens, you know, with this dementia. And so now the grandpa is like the little boy, you know, and the grandson is actually the adult in the room. And it's, I don't know, it's, to me, it's just remarkable. The whole thing is remarkable. And I, again, let me emphasize that I haven't read a bad Frederick Backman book. So I really encourage everybody, if you have not heard anything about this author, just pick up this book anyway, because it's such an easy read. I think you'll be encouraged to go on to others. So his first book's A Man Called Ove, and then Beartown was another one. Britt Marie was here. Anxious People, which I already mentioned, which is, by the way, if you want to just read a funny book, Anxious People is the book just remarkable, funny characters. But anyway, and there's always a twist with his books. Yeah, you're, you, you think you know what's going on and you have absolutely no idea what's going on. So that's kind of fun too. Wow, beautiful scene and beautiful words uh, and very moving. You mentioned that this was a shorter one of his books. Are the other ones longer than this one or are they of similar length? Do you have any other novellas? I, this is the only novella I'm aware of. So the others are most definitely novel length, but not difficult reads. You know, they, they go quickly um, just because of his characters and his dialogue. So, yeah. The twists at the end seem very O. Henry-esque, how you get to the end and get a zany quick twist. I love that. Well, anything that you would suggest to readers to look for or any takeaways that you think a reader, a first-time reader of Frederick Backman may get from this book? Just don't make any assumptions and just try to really enjoy the ride um, and, and not do a lot of sleuthing, um, you know, not treat it like a mystery, you know, or something like that. Just read it and, and enjoy it because I think that's the way he writes. I don't think he writes like a mystery writer or something like that. I think he just lets his characters live and speak. This is something that I was reading actually just today. Madeline Langle was writing the introduction for a book by Dorothy Sayers. And Madeline Langle is talking about creativity and you know, where does creativity come from and, and that sort of thing. Madeline Langle says, when the writer allows the free will of the character, this is a metaphor for God's respect of our own free will. And I believe that is most definitely the case with Frederick Backman, probably more than most authors. Um, he doesn't seem to have an agenda other than allowing his characters to speak, which uh, I would love to emulate in my writing. Brilliant. Just as an aside, uh, this book was written in 2016, it looks like. I guess he is still currently writing and new work coming out on the horizon. Great. Wonderful. Well, thank you so very much, Frederick Backman, an author to keep our eyes on and great to focus on. And every morning, the way home gets longer and longer. Why don't you get yourself a copy and read it and drop us a line. See how much you enjoy it as well. But thank you once again for tuning in to Moments That Matter. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to Moments That Matter, a podcast that looks at the moments in our lives that come along from time to time that have consequences long after the moment, especially those moments that have to do with the choice of vocation. In his book, Let Your Life Speak, Listening for the Voice of Vocation, 
Parker Palmer speaks of a clearness committee in the Quaker tradition, wherein a group of older, wiser people ask questions of someone considering a life choice as a way of clarifying the next step. We may not meet with a committee about these big decisions, but we all have these critical junctures in our lives, which we can think of as clearness committee moments. We need to pay attention to these moments because they are profound and potentially life-altering. We'll relay stories from our lives and interview others about theirs, especially noting the clearness committee moments, those we choose to recognize and those that were sadly ignored, those decisions that were made with God in mind and those that were not. Our hope is that these podcasts will cause you to think of the same kind of moments in your life with new clarity.